Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.47 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 11th of January, 2023. This is episode 656 of Bitcoin. And I don't think DCG is going to survive. I'm just saying. It also kind of looks like Coinbase may be in a little bit of trouble. We'll be getting to that. Uh, what else we got on deck here? Uh, we got some other stuff. We got some Binance things going on that are kind of weird. And Crypto.com is delisting Tether. Yeah, delisting Tether. So I'll, we'll find out what the hell's going on, I, I guess. I guess. There's also some FTX stuff. But... Um, I wanted to, to uh, before we get into any of that, I kind of wanted to make an announcement. My wife has decided to start learning how to spin yarn from wool fiber. Yeah. You're talking about an ancient technique that's been around, oh, humans since, I don't know, 4,000 years, maybe five Something like that. I mean, we've been making clothes for a long time, ladies and gentlemen, and they ain't all hides, right? Even back in the damn day. And uh, what is really interesting about spinning yarn from wool is that, you know, my wife may have said this a, a few times, I'm not sure, but my wife has been knitting for 15 years now. We just kind of figured that out a couple of days ago and I'm like, holy shit. She knitted a scarf the other day for herself that with the quality of the wool and the amount of wool that's in this particular scarf, materials alone, okay, brace yourself, 150 bucks. Now, granted, it's a beautiful scarf. It's very thick. It's very heavy. It's very warm. And is every bit of probably, I don't know, seven feet long, something like that. And probably a good uh, nine inches wide, maybe a full foot wide. And 150 bucks of yarn she outlaid for this thing. That doesn't include the month it took her to knit this. And now, now she wants to go vertically integrated, (laughs) right? Or she wants to add another vertical integration stack. And so she's learning how to spin yarn. And I got to say, I've always been fascinated with how, how is it that you go and shear an alpaca or a merino wool sheep or something like that and get this pelt or whatever, I don't know what you call it, a, a big old thing of wool out of this thing and then spin that into yarn 
because I know how knitting works now. I mean, I don't knit myself, but after 15 years of watching my wife do it, yeah, I, I, I pretty much, I get it. Okay, I get it. What I never got was how in the hell do you spin a wheel and feed it wool and get yarn out on the other end? And when I saw it done for the first time at a farmer's market this summer, there was a woman that had her spinning wheel. And this is apparently, this is this is actually gaining traction, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll tell you why in a second. And it's, I mean, this is good news, honestly. I, I think people are going, are starting to eject the easy in their life and purposefully taking on the hard. Because I think subliminally, all the messaging that we've gotten over the past few decades is starting to turn people's minds into the fact that we're being lied to and that we need to start taking action for ourselves in our own localities and everybody's doing it. They're starting little farms. They're trying to do anything that they can to get out of this system. And I guarantee you 95% of them don't actually know why. They just feel compelled. But I know what the reason is because they're living in a dumpster fire that is a clown world and they're reaching, reaching for anything with meaning, anything at all. And in the case of my wife, it's spinning yarn. So I'm watching this woman spin yarn at this farmer's, you know, farmer's market. And I just go up to her and it's sort of like shaking your rancher's hand. I said, hi, you know, my name's David. And I noticed that you're spinning yarn and I'm actually fascinated. Would you show me how it works? Not teach me how to do it. Not yet. I was like, just how does this work? And after she showed me in 15 seconds, it answered all the questions that I had in 20 years of how does, how, how do you take a bunch of fiber and get it into yarn? And it, the answer was 15 seconds. Just because I walked up to this woman who I didn't know and said, I'm interested in what you're doing. Would you please show me how it works? We should probably be doing this more often. You see, this is where I'm going with all this. You should maybe ask the guy, go to the farmer's market and ask the woodworker out there, how do you carve these pieces? What, how does this work? Go over to the guy that, you know, your rancher and your, your farmers and say, how is it that you do what you do? I mean, can you kind of just line me out on how does it work? Do you, do you buy a calf? and then just feed it all year long. And then how do you slaughter it? And you know, I mean, just whatever it is that you're interested in, but these people are more than willing to spend their time sharing with you what it is that they love to do. Everybody will do that. I mean, if you're a Bitcoiner and you probably are, if you're listening to this show, how often is it that you are more than willing to spend hours upon hours explaining Bitcoin to somebody who asks you the simple question, I don't understand it. How does it work? Please tell me. Everybody will do that, whether they're Bitcoiners or weavers or knitters or spinners or ranchers or farmers. They love what it is that they do. They're fascinated with it themselves. They didn't do it because they're being forced to do it. They're doing it because they, well, they're doing it because they either love it, which is more often than not the way it actually works, or like a couple of ranchers that I've met, they're like, I don't know how to do anything else. This is the way that I grew up and I know how to do it. So I just kept on doing it after daddy died. Yeah, 
Oh, well, that's fair enough. It's still not slavery. But if you get a chance, like this summer, plan to go out to your farmer's markets and find something that you're fascinated with or go out there with intention of understanding that you're already fascinated with something that you know is going to be at the farmer's market. Like, you know, how do you raise sheep? How do you spin? How do you, you know, whatever. And go find the person that does that and say, I'm fascinated with what it is that you're doing. Will you please show me how this works? And then maybe later on, you can say, will you please teach me how this works? But this whole spinning notion has really gotten me thinking that, you know, vertical integration on your, you know, in my wife's case, vertical integration on her knitting. Well, it doesn't work as well as you think because how much time does it take to spin the yarn from wool? We can get the wool. That's easy. You can just buy it in bags at the knitting store, right? But how much time is it going to take her to actually, you know, spin enough yarn? And then she's got to take the time. Like I said, it took a month for her to just knit the damn you know, knit the damn uh, scarf. How much time is it going to take to actually make the yarn in a good enough quality because she's got to learn how to do it, right? But beside that, let's say she gets to be master at it, right? How long is it going to take to get enough yarn to be able to knit another scarf? So you're splitting your time on vertical integration, right? So I think it's one of those things where you got to be careful where, where is, oh, well, I just want to be 100% vertically integrated. Do you have enough years on this planet to make a profit from doing that? Which is one of the reasons we have something called money. In our case, we call it Bitcoin, right? And I just, it's these questions are like, as we, exp what I'm seeing, and I'll, let me get, I'll do this and then we'll get into the news. When my wife decided that she wanted to start spinning yarn. It came out of a couple of things. Her favorite yarn store at down, you know, in, in the town that we're closest to, um, started selling spinning wheels and she started looking at them and she's like, well, I'm thinking about it. Well, a couple of weeks later, we went back. There's a flyer on the wall that says spinning class, free spinning class, uh, January 7th, you know, from this time to this time, just drop in and we'll show you, we'll put you on a wheel or a spinner or whatever they call it. And we'll teach you how to do it. We'll get you started, at least. You know, you're not going to be a master by any stretch, but we'll, we'll get you started. So she decides that she wants to go. And I, I want her to go because I'm like, we need to start. It's not that we need to start knitting our own goods. As humans, we need to start making meaning. And that means more than just writing words on a page. It means doing things with our hands, things that Things that we can look at later, like my wife, will, one of these days, she will knit a scarf or a sweater and she will say, not only did I knit that son of a bitch, I spun the wool into yarn to knit that thing. All of a sudden, there's way more meaning in that garment than just going to JCPenney's and buying a fucking Tommy Hill figure for way too much money. Actually, well, way too much money insofar as what we would like to pay for it but way too cheap for us to care about it. Does that make sense? Because it's like, like I said, it's a $150 scarf that my wife took a month to knit. She's going to take care of that way more than she would if, so, if it was just knitted on a machine and then in China and then shipped overseas and then thrown, 
into a store with a 500% markup on what it really costs to make because they're using slave labor or whatever, okay? Well, it turns out she goes to this, this spinning class. She figures two or three people will be in there. When I went to go pick her up from it, not only had she, yes, bought a spinning wheel, and these things are rather expensive, by the way. I looked in the room they were teaching the class in. It was packed. It was wall-to-wall people, and every spinning wheel they had in that store was in use. This was what we call oversubscribed. The woman that owns the store said she had no idea what she was getting into when she offered this class. Let that sink in. It's, it's not, I get the feeling. And that's where the idea kind of came into my head that I think people are freaking tired of the boredom of the easiness that our society has wrapped us in. It's like we're clawing our way out of the bubble wrap and finding out that while we've been bubble wrapped, that the whole world has gone to shit. And that what we want to do is start concentrating on our circle of concern, our circle of control, our, or not circle of concern, sorry. Circle of concern is exactly what you should probably give the least amount of shit about. Your circle of influence, that's it. Your circle of control is inside your circle of influence. Those two circles, that should be your concern, right? Being able to learn how to do something, to vertically integrate something that you, something else that you love to do. That's within your circle of control. You know, being able to possibly sell these goods and services to somebody else, that ends up being circle of influence. Your circle of concern is worrying about what Brandon is doing up there in Washington, D.C. Honestly, who gives a shit? Now, it's news time. Let's start with Noster. I can't stop talking about Noster. I just, I love this thing. And so does Shinobi from Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoiners are flocking to Noster. But what makes it different than Twitter? Well, because it's not fucking Twitter. That's the short answer. Noster has gotten a lot of attention and steam behind it since its recent addition to the list of alternative social platforms that are prohibited from promotion on Twitter. And it's also gaining traction because it's become clear that the Twitter buyout by Elon Musk hasn't fundamentally changed anything about freedom of expression on the platform. Users are still being banned for inconsistent and arbitrary reasons, and people are looking for a decentralized alternative that isn't something like Mastodon, where a server operator still has the ability to control your identity. Despite the recent attention, the Nostra protocol and first relay server implementation were actually created at the end of 2020 by developer Fiat Jaff. Before the big burst of attention, it was just a quiet niche protocol trying to be a lightweight solution to the problems of Twitter and Mastodon. On both systems, your identity slash username is simply a thing controlled by whoever is running the server. Mastodon being a federated system with multiple different servers all talking to each other doesn't fundamentally change that reality. Whoever server you use to host an account is in total control of whether you can use it or not. Even running your own server 
other server operators can black or whitelist which servers will be allowed to talk to their servers. This has led to a lot of partitioning in the quote-unquote Fediverse on different or of different Mastodon servers and make the idea of just running your own meaningless. You can still ultimately be censored by other server operators, preventing their users from ever seeing your content in their feed. The core differentiator between Nostra and something like Mastodon is that instead of using a username owned by a server operator, which each user utilizes a public-private key pair to handle that function instead, that is something that a server operator cannot simply seize from you or lock you out of. This is one of the core building blocks on top of which the overall Nostra protocol is built. The next is events. This is the basic object slash data type used by clients and the relay servers that clients connect to in order to send and retrieve messages. The general idea of the protocol is that clients send events to relay servers who then in turn store and index them and other clients can communicate with relay servers to request events they have received and stored. In the original NIP01, three different types of events are defined. Type 0, sending metadata about a user such as a username, a picture, a bio, etc. Type 2, sends text messages and basic content. Type 2, wait a minute, did I say type 2? Type 0 sends metadata about a user. Type 1 sends text messages and basic content. Type 2 recommends relay servers for people following the event creator to connect to. All events are structured in a specifically defined way. They include the public key of the creator, a timestamp of when it was created, the type of event, the content payload, and a signature from the event creator. They also have tags referencing other events or users and have an ID value, which is a hash of everything except the creator's signature, which is similar to a transaction ID for Bitcoin transactions. This lets you guarantee that a message was actually created by the owner of the public key inside of it by verifying the signature and the person who owns that key if it isn't compromised. The gar and guarantee that the message wasn't altered after they signed it. Just like you can't alter a Bitcoin transaction after it's signed without voiding it, you can't alter a Nostra event after the creator signed it without it being an obvious fraud. The event kind of system, or sorry, the event kind system was expanded quite substantially from the original NIP. There is an event type for encrypted direct messages, establishing a shared key by combining the sender's private key with the receiver's public key, which results in the same key you would get by combining the sender's public key with the receiver's private key. This is how BIP or BIP47 and silent payments work. There are also types for replaceable events and ephemeral events. In the case of replaceable event, obviously, there are designed or they are designed so that the original creator of the event can sign a new one to replace the old one. Relay servers following the specification will automatically drop the older event from their storage 
and begin serving the newer versions to clients upon receipt. Ephemeral events are designed so that they will be broadcast to anyone subscribing to their creator when sent to the relay, but relay servers are not supposed to store them. This creates the possibility of having messages seen only by people when they are online during its broadcast. There is even an event type to signal a reaction, such as likes or emojis, to other people's events. Speaking of that last one, events can also contain tags. Currently, there are tag types for events to reference an exact Nostra event, public keys to tag or reference other users, and subjects to emulate functionality such as email subjects. All of these can include pointers to specific relay servers from which the data can be fetched so that users can actually interact across servers, i.e. a user posting their content to one relay server can interact with and reference content created by another user posting to a different relay server in a way that allows any user to coherently fetch the entire thread of interactions in the proper order and without massive complexity in figuring out where to find the relevant data. Inside the original NIP, a specification is given for how clients are to interact with relay servers through a subscription message slash data structure that includes filters for what events that client is interested in receiving. Those filters can specify users' public keys, exact events, types of events, and even specific timeframes in which they want based on the prior criteria. You can even submit prefixes of public keys or event IDs such as, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, quotation mark, 1xjisj dot 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 close quotation marks and receive any event or events from a public key that begin with that short string and this can be useful for hiding from a relay server what you actually wanted to view overall the protocol is very bare bones generalized scheme for passing messages between users that cover the important things such as guaranteeing the integrity of messages and who sent them with the use of public key identities while also facilitating infrastructure on the back end for relay servers that can be extremely decentralized or allow a user to run their own personal relay server all while seamlessly interacting with each other and not causing massive chaos in the event of a user being banned from one relay server. They could move to another one or run their own and their deplatforming from the prior server does not lose them their digital identity or followers because they still maintain control over their private key and users can authenticate that when finding them elsewhere. Relay servers can operate however they want as well. They can operate for free. They can charge micropayments to post or download messages. And there is even an NIP for requiring hash cash style proof of work to submit a message. They can be a single relay server for hosting and serving only your post to other users, or they can be a server running at massive scale such as Twitter or Reddit, where clients can display and organize information however they want, which allows emulating essentially any social media platform that exists today. All of this can interoperate seamlessly and without being able to shut out a user. 
You can prevent them from posting content to your Relay server, but ultimately you can't stop them from viewing content you host on your Relay server or stop other users from finding their content on other Relay servers. It is a very simplistic protocol with a large open design space for people to build, guaranteeing users can always interact with each other regardless of what individual Relay server operators choose to host or not host. This is simultaneously its greatest strength and its greatest weakness. While it guarantees the freedom for developers to build without tight constraints by a complicated protocol, there are also many problems that it will inherently run into that are not handled by the protocol itself. In the next piece I write, I will go into some of the issues I see occurring and potential solutions, but for now, I'll just say that in terms of the simplicity of the design and the possibilities that it opens up for people to build, Noster has done a very good job. Considering it is the brainchild of one person and only a handful of other people have really contributed to the protocol specification itself so far. All right, that's the end of the article by Shinobi from Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, hoping that that kind of gives you a little bit more of a internal view into what's going on in Noster as, the, as a protocol. It's very important to understand this as a protocol. This is how we escape from the burning down of the walled gardens that are clearly on fire. And they did it to themselves. Twitter did it to, it, to itself. Facebook has done it to itself. Uh, you name it. Instagram, whatever social media walled garden you want, they're all on fire. And each one of the people that own or operate those walled gardens is responsible directly for pouring gasoline on their walled garden and lighting it on fire because of the woke fucking culture that we've been subjected to over the last five years minimum and over the last three years at a fevered pitch to the point that it's driving people to any other alternative that they can find. It's sad that this has happened, but all things, this is where I've said it before, the forest is the greatest teacher. Now, why would I say that? Okay, in this particular case, the burning down of all that has come before builds the soil in which the next generation can sprout from. See how that works? That's just one single lesson in a forest. And that is just one single lesson about one single lesson of how a forest regenerates itself. In other ways, it might not even have to burn down. A deciduous forest, in which case all the trees or most of the trees lose their leaves and fall, all those leaves fall to the ground and the microorganisms in the soil regenerate all that back into nutrition for the trees that are already pre-existing. However, that does not wash with what's going on in social media today. That fucking thing is on fire. It is burning down and it's going to burn all the way down to ash to where nothing survives. And then the next generation will come up and that's what's called the pioneer species. In a, like the Rocky Mountains, one of the first things you will get after a forest fire completely destroys a forest, which shouldn't happen, but the way that we've been doing forest management, it does. First thing you'll see is white oak 
and aspen and other poplar trees. Aspen and pop, aspen is a type of poplar. These things are not designed to be long-lived. However, the white oak is. The white oak can last for decades, but they prep the soil. They're prepping the soil right now. Noster may not survive. It's a pioneer species, and it's basically going to rebuild the soil left after the forest fire of modern social media. Just keep that in mind. But I recommend, I highly recommend getting on Noster. Go to Domus, have it generate you a private key, which will then generate you a public key. Start playing with it. There's no reason not to. It's not going to hurt you. It ain't going to kill you. The only thing that'll happen is that if you start posting Noster stuff on Twitter, they will ban you. That's how dangerous Noster is to them. It's like pouring water on a house fire. It doesn't help the house fire burn and they want to burn. All right, so just just saying. Now, Barry Silbert and DCG. I got three in a row. Prashant Jha for Cointelegraph. DCG chief Barry Silbert pins a letter to the shareholders. Aw, and the community reacts. Probably not well. The crypto community woke to another drama-filled day after the digital currency group chief's letter to shareholders went wrong. DCG CEO Barry Silbert penned a letter to the shareholders on January the 10th, reflecting on the state of the crypto market and the growing fear, uncertainty, and doubt around the uh, company. DCG is the parent company of crypto lending firm Genesis Global Capital, Capital and Grayscale, the world's leading crypto asset manager. (laughs) In the letter, Silbert addressed the growing issues around DCG and its subsidiaries owing to the bear market and FTX contagion. He said that bad actors and the implosion of leading crypto companies had wreaked havoc upon the industry. He noted DCG and many of our portfolio companies are not immune to the effects of the present turmoil. In the letter, in the rather, in the latter half of the letter, Silbert addressed some raging questions about DCG's relationship with FTX, the loan agreement with Genesis, and more. He said that Genesis had a trading and lending relationship with Three Arrows Capital and had invested $250,000 in FTX's Series B funding round in July of 2021. DCG also borrowed $500 million between January and May 2022 at interest rates of, holy fuck, 10 to 12%, and currently owes Genesis $447.5 million and 4,550 Bitcoin worth $78 million, which matures in May of this year. That's gonna be a fun spring for Barry. However, what puzzled the crypto community more was that Silbert avoided addressing accusations by Cameron Winklevoss that came just hours before his letter. Winklevoss penned an open letter to the board of DCG on January the 10th saying CEO Barry Silbert was unfit to run the company. He also accused Silbert of defrauding customers and hiding behind lawyers. Genesis reportedly owes Gemini $900 million. One Twitter user wrote that the letter indicates that people might not get their money back. Another user questioned Silbert's tactics of buying GBTC shares and selling borrowed BTC and wrote, quote, 
So you borrowed Bitcoin, sold them, and bought GBTC shares? Not sure how you hedge GBTC long positions with Bitcoin otherwise, end quote. Other crypto community members accused Silbert of deflecting the allegations and called the letter a PR tactic. A few users went on to compare his tactics to that of Terraform Labs co-founder Du Quan, while others speculated that the letter hinted that Silbert might lose his job in the coming weeks. He's going to lose more than his job. I don't see DCG surviving. I just don't. They, 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 just too big for their britches. They got too hubristic, hubristic, I guess is a word. And just too full of themselves. And Barry was full of himself when he pinned his signature to the New York agreement letter that was going to quote unquote, force a block size increase and nobody went along with it. Not a single miner. They said they would, but in reality, when all the node runners, which is different than miners, we're the ones that actually validate the transactions, not the miners. My node, VAP, makes sure that a transaction is valid before it even goes into any mempool, much less my own, because I run my own mempool because that's what you do when you run a full node. You have your own mempool. But my, my node has to receive the transaction being broadcast, right? Before it's deemed valid. My node will reject an invalid transaction if it doesn't go, if it doesn't follow the consensus rules of Bitcoin. It's not the miner that validates it, guys. It's the miner just finds the block and puts already valid transactions into it, right? It's a two-party system. Every single node runner started flashing on their node, I'm not supporting NYA. Or basically it was, uh, oh God, U, uh, USAF. That was the tagline that people were putting into their nodes, signaling to the miners, they're not gonna put up with this shit. And the miners backed off. And after the miners backed off, Barry Silbert and all the rest of the New York signees on the New York agreement, they had to write a letter saying that they weren't gonna do it. And then, and then, after we laughed about it, the, it was like the next day or the day after that, the guy that had already forked the Bitcoin code for the New York agreement for the block size increase decided he was gonna do it anyway, and it failed before it even mined its first block because he made a mathematical error in the code when he was making the adjustments for the fork. Let that sink in. That's who you're dealing with. How, how would you think Barry would not get so full of himself after surviving that and making a fuck ton of money off of GBTC and all the rest of the stuff that he's got going on? How would you think that he wouldn't become so hubristic that he would engage in these kinds of activities, putting all of his shareholders at risk? Not only is his job at risk, everybody's money is on the line. DCG falls. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. I don't know how you get out of it because I was never in it. If I had a mechanism to tell you exactly what to do, I would, but I don't know because I don't engage in this kind of horseshit. It's too complicated. What I do is I buy Bitcoin. I hold Bitcoin. I do it on a weekly basis and I've been doing it since 2015. 
And I've never had to worry about any of these jokers. Now, Gemini coming back. Jim and I was mentioned in that letter. Let's find out what Gemini is talking, what that is talking about. And we've got it from Bitcoin Magazine being written by BTC Casey. Gemini's Winklevoss alleges DCG and Genesis defrauded his exchange and 340,000 users. Oh boy. The co-founder of Gemini, Cameron Winklevoss, has released an extensive letter of his own alleging that Genesis and its parent company, Digital Currency Group, defrauded Gemini and more than 340,000 Gemini Earn users. The letter also levies substantial claims of fraud against Barry Silbert and other key personnel at the companies. The letter alleges that after Genesis Global Capital LLC, Genesis Trading or Genesis Trading's $2.8 billion crypto lending arm realized losses of at least $1.2 billion in the wake of the cryptocurrency hedge fund Three Arrows Capital collapse, instead of taking action to restructuring and protect users, the fund tried to defraud others into believing that $1.2 billion of working capital had been injected into the company. Oh, shit. DCG is not going to survive. Instead of doing this, however, the firm allegedly marked a 10-year promissory note down as a current asset, which normally refers to cash, cash equivalents, or other assets that can be exchanged into cash within one year, according to the letter. However, Winklevoss writes that, quote, as a promissory note with a principal repayment due in 10 years falls outside the definition of a current asset by a country mile, end quote. Winklevoss also describes how Genesis was allegedly lending to Three Arrows Capital without regard to the risk on these loans. As the crypto hedge fund was apparently redirecting investment into Grayscale Investments GBTC, which limited the growing discount of the trust. This risk was then passed on to the users of Gemini Earn. The letter claims that greed is ultimately what has driven these investment decisions and apparently the loss of Gemini Earn users' funds. The letter concludes with a paragraph which reads, quote, There is no path forward as long as Barry Silver remains CEO of DCG. He has proven himself unfit to run DCG and unwilling and unable to find a resolution with creditors that is both fair and reasonable. As a result, Gemini, acting on behalf of our 340,000 earned users, requests that the board remove Barry Silbert as CEO effective immediately and install a new CEO who will right the wrongs that occurred under Barry's watch, end quote. While Bitcoin that is held in custodians can be frozen and stolen, it is worth noting that Bitcoin, which is properly self-custodied in cold storage, cannot be. As alleged in this letter, the user of the, sorry, the users of Gemini Earn introduced third-party risk and unnecessary trust when they kept their funds on that platform, which then brazenly lent out said entrusted funds. Bitcoiners should clarify to those who are unaware of the differences between these platforms and the risks and proper self-custodial storage of Bitcoin. In response to the letter, DCG's Twitter account released an, an, official, in statement, uh, an official statement embedded below. So here's Cameron Winklevoss's tweet, and he's just got a, a screenshot of the letter. And he says, earn update an open letter to the board of DCGCO uh, or at DCGCO. 
Digital Currency Group, the at DCGCO, wrote back and said, this is another desperate and unconstructive publicity stunt from at Cameron to deflect blame from himself and Gemini, who are solely responsible for operating Gemini Earn and marketing the program to its customers. We are preserving all legal remedies in response to these malicious and fake and defamatory attacks. DCG will continue to engage in productive dialogue with Genesis and its creditors with the goal of arriving at a solution that works for all parties. Yeah. Again, ladies and gentlemen, DCG does not survive this. Now, when? I don't know. This year, most likely. I I think it's 90% chance that by the time we hit January 1st, 2024, Barry Silbert, Genesis, and DCG won't exist. And we will have to go through yet. See, I I told you yesterday or uh, Monday didn't come to yesterday because I had I that there was stuff just fell from the sky on me. On Monday, I said we're looking at a hurricane, and all we're in right now is the eye of the storm. We've we, you know the whole wall of the first half of the hurricane has already blown houses off of its foundations and knocked down trees and all kinds of shit we still have the other half of the hurricane to go through and shit like Binance, Tether, DCG, that's all on deck for being wiped the fuck out. If you're exposed to any of it and you can figure out a way to get unexposed, do it now. The eyewall is coming. And once we're on the other side of that, we're in another hurricane and that happens in 2023. That's, there's no way out. It, there's, there's no praying that'll get you out of this. Understand that we're going to go through this again, it, but it's all part of the same storm. And it's good to have these cleansings, just like it's good to have forest fires that don't kill every single tree in the forest. Okay, that there's... Uh, one of these days I might have to do a, a little bit longer about the different various kinds of forest fires and what they do and what the aftermath is. But this is a big one. And it's going to burn out all the undergrowth and it's going to kill a lot of the trees because so much garbage has been left as fuel for the fire that that fire is going to burn hot. In fact, so hot that it will boil the sap in trees, which is one of the reasons why trees die in a fire. If it gets too hot, a tree can't survive. It's not that it catches on fire immediately. Most trees that are alive have all manner of fire protection because it's a fire ecology in a forest. That's the way a forest works, right? But when you've got too much fuel on the ground and the hotter that fire burns, if it burns hot enough, not only will it kill the tree in the forest, but it will catch that tree on fire and then there's no hope. It's just, there's just no hope. And we're sort of in the middle of a devastating full 100% kill on a forest and a small undergrowth burning that just takes out all the fuel if we had just been left it natural and let forests work the way that they actually work instead of trying to put out every single fire that we see. And that's what these guys have been doing. They've been trying to put out every single fire that they've seen. And because it's bad, And all of a sudden you get this fuel buildup and now that fuel is on fire, just like all the walled gardens are. Everything's burning down. 
everything's burning down. Just be aware and stay out of the forest. Go out on the lake. You'll you'll be safe there. So what what's up next? Oh, now I had, this is the third story about DCG. Dutch exchange Bitvaro has rejected DCG's proposal to repay 70% of the debt. Cointelegraph, Helen Parts. Cryptocurrency exchange Bitvavo, a major creditor of the troubled company DCG, has dismissed their proposal of partial debt repayment. Bitvavo initially announced on January the 11th that the firm received, is it? Yeah, today is the 11th that the firm received a counterproposal from DCG offering to repay about 70% of the outstanding amount in a term acceptable to, to Bitvavo. The remaining balance amount is still under negotiation with DCG as it on, is only ready to repay part of the debt with a term acceptable to uh, Bitvavo, the exchange said, adding, quote, as creditors, we do not find the latter accept acceptable because DCG has sufficient resources available for full repayment, end quote. Bitvavo emphasized that the current situation regarding DCG has no impact on Bitvavo's customers, platform, or services. Quote, Bitvavo guarantees the outstanding amount and has thus taken over the risk from its customers, the firm noted. The announcement came soon after Bitvavo decided to pre-fund about $290 million in assets locked on DCG to avoid reliance on the troubled firm. The Dutch crypto exchange said it had enough resources to continue serving its customers without disruption. The exchange expects DCG to refund outstanding balances despite the latter experiencing a massive liquidity crisis amid the bear market. In the latest statement, Bitvavo mentioned a similar situation faced by the Winklevoss brothers, or otherwise known as the Winklevi, uh, their crypto exchange, Gemini. On January the 10th, Cameron Winklevoss wrote a public letter to DCG board accusing CEO Barry Silbert of fraud and calling for the replacement of Silbert as CEO. So there you go. Now, uh, the, the, the contagion is all over the place. And I told y'all about this like a month ago, be, way, be before Christmas break. The contagion is everywhere because the fuel that has been allowed to accumulate in our forest is everywhere. It's not just one pile by, you know, sitting next to DCG or sitting next to Three Arrows Capital. Guys, it's everywhere. The entire forest has a fuel load that is detrimental. Will Bitcoin die because of it? No, that's ridiculous. Bitcoin will survive. Will you? Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We've got West Texas Intermediate. Chilling out 3.43% above yesterday at $77.70 a barrel. Brent North Sea up likewise 3.3%, $82.79 a barrel for that. Natural gas, I don't, can you say manipulated market? I can. Natural gas is down 1.5% to $3.58. In the middle of winter, in the middle of winter, no. Bullshit. I'm not buying it. Uh, gasoline is up 4.38% to $2.43 a gallon. 
Gold is up three point, no, actually just 0.18% with a $3 gain to $1,879.80. Silver is down a third, $23.57. Platinum is up scant. Copper is up 2.28%. Palladium is up 0.18%. Agricultural futures are mostly mixed. Wheat is the biggest winner, 1.4% to the upside, followed by chocolate, 1.3% to the upside. Biggest loser today is coffee, 4.71% to the downside. We've got Dow up 0.34%. S&P is up 0.7%. NASDAQ is up 1.08%. S&P mini is up 0.85%. Real money, however, is at $17,363. We had uh, 292,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. That's 12,000 transactions per hour, every hour on the hour on average. Uh, Let's see, 455,000 BTC has been sent in that 24 hour period. And that's about 18,900 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.5 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.023 BTC or 391 bucks. Again, I will reiterate that that was the average for about, I don't know, man, a year and a half, two years before we did the whole $69,000 BTC price. And it looks like it's coming back into the normalcy. Uh, Block times, nine minutes and seven seconds. So really, really low. We have 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 11.16 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Looks like we've had a difficulty or a a hash rate increase rather of 11.71%. So we're up at around 289 exahashes per second. I see this is the thing with all the carnage going on in Bitcoin, with DCG and Three Arrows Capital and FTX and Duquan and all the crap in the first part of the hurricane that we're experiencing and what we'll probably experience in the second part of the hurricane as it passes over and that's coming close, hash rate does not seem to really give a shit. It's amazing and honestly, that's bullish. Now, if you're holding Doge, however, you should probably GFY, uh, but it's your shitcoin indicator and it's 7.5 United States pennies. We have 17,379 transactions waiting on 21 blocks to clear. We have a $334.8 billion market cap and you can get uh, 9.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,258,965.98 of, and 5,187 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $90.2 million, being run over 15,986 nodes, sporting 75,501 payment channels, and 69.1% of all that is being run over TOR's associated 11,239 Lightning nodes, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Hey, 
Did you know that FTX had an office right across the street from the White House in Washington, D.C.? Stacy Elliott did, or at least she does, and she's going to tell us about it, decrypt.co. FTX used to have a D.C. office across the street from the White House and Treasury Department, according to court documents. That's closer, physically at least, than either the Blockchain Association or Coin Center's offices were to key lawmakers, which are 25 and 10 minute drives away, respectively. The office has come up in court filings because FTX's legal team is trying to get the judge's permission to mutually terminate a lease with the property owner, Metropolitan Square Associates. It's typical for a company to terminate leases and sell property it doesn't think will be essential to its restructuring after entering a Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. West Realm Shires, parent company of FTX's U.S.-based businesses, signed a lease for the 655 15th Street Northwest in D.C. on August the 3rd, 2022. That was set to expire August 2028. West Realm Shires paid $32,000 of a security deposit for the non-residential real property, according to court documents filed on Monday. The location, referred to as MetSquare on Google Maps, appears to house a WeWork co-working location where companies can sign leases for permanent private workspaces. The terms being proposed by FTX's legal team would mark the lease as mutually terminated as of December the 21st. Metropolitan Square would keep the security deposit on the condition that it waives its rights to all other claims against FTX. FTX's draft agreement would also allow the bankrupt crypto exchange to abandon personal property at the office, but not business or financial records, as long as some third party doesn't have a claim to it. FTX wants the second largest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. Is there anything else about this? Uh, Before things fell apart for FTX, the company seemed pretty optimistic about its ability to wield influence in D.C., That often meant that Bankman-Fried was stepping on others' toes and talking at rather than to other crypto industry lobbyists, according to Blockchain Association Executive Director Kristen Smith. Quote, There was a situation when a group of lobbyists and advocates were meeting to have a strategy session, and he showed up in the middle of that and basically spoke for 45 minutes at us and then left, Smith told Decrypt in December. And so I think my understanding is that a lot of the conversations were sort of one-sided. But at the same time, I think people were very interested in Sam. They thought he was approachable, end quote. Smith was very clear in saying that neither Bankman-Fried nor FTX were ever members of the Blockchain Association. But she did get a sense of how he liked to operate in D.C., He was diligent about creating opportunities to rub elbows with lawmakers, like hosting breakfasts with senators and going to happy hour with congressional staffers. Yeah, you want the staffers. That's how you get in, honestly. The White House, meanwhile, has been reluctant to comment on its interactions with Bankman-Fried. In mid-December, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre refused to answer questions about donations made by Bankman-Fried to President Joe Biden's campaign. Last week, the White House confirmed four meetings with the FTX founder throughout the course of 2022, but claimed those meetings were merely about pandemic preparedness programs and general information regarding crypto markets, pausing to make the statement, why? on earth 
would you take a meeting with a 30 year old crypto guy to talk about pandemic preparedness? Is he a pandemic specialist? Is he a virologist? Is he even a microbiologist? Does he know fuck all about molecular biology or biology at all? No, he doesn't. He has no credentials to be talking about this. Just keep that shit in mind because that's a cover story. Bankman Fried made what appeared to be his first big splash in Washington back in December of 2021 when he testified before the House Financial Services Committee along with Coinbase, USD Coin Issuer Circle and other industry players. At the time, he shared a link to FTX's policies website on Twitter. The website, which is still live, was updated as recently as October with a blog post including a draft or including a draft of a set of standards that we as an industry could enact to create clarity and protect customers. A month after the blog post was published, FTX empire crumbled and Bankman Fried's days away from being was days away from being arrested and charged with conspiracy, wire fraud and campaign finance violations among other crimes. He has since been extradited to the US where he is placed under house arrest at his parents' home and pleaded not guilty to every single criminal charge. His trial date was set for October the 2nd of this year. So it's, yeah, he's going to be cooling his heels for a while. And that's if he ever even sees trial. I, I give it a 50-50 chance. Just saying. Now, continue with FTX. Supposedly, FTX has recovered over $5 billion, with a B, dollars in cash and liquid crypto. According to a report, uh, Zayun Sun from Cointelegraph has it. According to the attorney for FTX, Andy Dietrich, the troubled cryptocurrency exchange has recovered $5 billion in cash and liquid cryptocurrencies. Yeah, well, how much of that is actually in cash, dude? However, the exchange is still working to rebuild transaction history. What? What? How do you not have your transaction history? Oh, that's right. You guys were paying invoices on Slack. You didn't even know what banks you had relationships with. Or at least this is according to the new CEO of FTX who's handling the bankruptcy procedures. You see what I'm saying? This is what's called the fuel that I continuously refer to in the forest. This idiocracy, this mismanagement, that's all fuel. You might as well look at a mismanagement event in any company as a dead log breaking off from a tree and falling on the forest floor. You get enough of those on the forest floor and you get a detrimental forest fire. And that's what we're dealing with now. Speaking to a U.S. bankruptcy judge in Delaware on Wednesday, Dietrich also stated that the company plans to sell $4.6 billion worth of non-strategic investment. These include subsidiaries such as LedgerX, Embed, FTX Japan, FTX Europe. The companies are independent from FTX with segregated accounts. Yeah, bullshit. FTX Japan has already drafted plans to return customer funds. In addition, FTX will end its 2021 to 2028 sponsorship deal with popular multiplayer online battle arena game League of Legends. Cointelegraph previously reported that FTX has $8.8 billion in total liabilities. At the time, sources said the exchange had very little cash 
and liquid digital assets amounting to an estimated $8 billion hole in its balance sheet. Bankman-Fried, the disgraced founder of FTX, has pled not guilty to all criminal charges. The United States Attorney's General Office for the Southern District of New York has formed an FTX task force to trace and recover missing customer funds and handle investigations and prosecutions related to the exchange's collapse. That's the end of the story, but my question hanging is this. What about all the political donations? We already know through statements by people that have received those donations. Not all of them, but at least a lot of them have stated the following. We're going to give that to charity. No, that's illegal. I'm sorry, but that's fucking illegal. You're it, you knew this shit was coming. And some of these statements were made after the chapter 11 bankruptcy was filed. You cannot give that money to anybody other than the people handling the bankruptcy. This is bullshit. This is 100% bullshit. Every, like, when I read you a story, don't think that it's because I believe it. I automatically take everything that I give you as a grain of salt. The reason I do this is because this is the narrative that you have to live through and you have to figure out how to navigate for yourself, right? And I'm hoping I'm bringing you some value here because you don't have to read these things yourself. But this story, what, what's being reported in the story, I'm not saying that she's lying or whatever, I'm just saying that this is all bullshit. And the, the clearest indicator of that is that after the chapter 11 was filed, politicians were stating that they were gonna give the funds that they got for donations to their political campaign to charities, and that's illegal. It has to be. Do I know for a fact? No. My gut instinct is, though, that that is the property of the creditors of FTX. Therefore, it cannot go to another party. It has to go back to the creditors of FTX, and it has to be done through the bankruptcy procedure. So are these people going to be investigated? No, they're not. Why? Because they care so much about you. They're your politicians. They're your elected officials. And they care about you. No, they don't. You know who doesn't care about something else? Crypto.com doesn't care about Tether and will delist Tether in Canada to comply with Ontario regulator. Andre Bagansky has this one for Decrypt. Cryptocurrency exchange, cryptocurrency.com will no longer facilitate transactions involving Tether in Canada and plans to delist the largest stablecoin by market capitalization for customers in the region. Quote, crypto.com has delisted USDT for users in Canada in accordance with instructions from the Ontario Securities Commission as part of our pre-registration undertaking for a restricted dealer license a spokesperson for Crypto.com told Decrypt. Honestly, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we need to know about this story. There are two things here. One, the largest stablecoin by volume and market cap is being delisted in Canada because, because Ontario Securities Commission demands it in order for them to get a license decentralized my ass. Sorry, that 
what all you're seeing is the rebuilding of what we already have. And the more and more, like if the Winklevi decide, if, if Gemini survives all this shit, or Kraken, if, if, the, if Kraken Exchange survives all this shit, or if Binance survives all this shit, they're gonna be regulatory captured because the greed of the people that are just, this is their way into traditional markets, man. They weren't able to get in because they got hired by JP Morgan. No, they went around all that bullshit. And, but they, they want the same prize. They don't want what me and you want. They wanted, they wanted JP Morgan seat all along. They wanted Goldman Sachs stuff all along. They wanted to be in the treasury department all along. You know, it's, it's insane. We have this one chance and everybody's still picking their nose the way they did 20 years ago. Nothing's changed. Does that mean that I don't like Bitcoin? No, it does not. Does that mean that I don't like this space? No, because I have the highest hope for this space. The meek will inherit the earth. That was, that was a statement of fact, not a promise, not a prophecy, not a, you know, offhand, you know, comment. No, the meek will inherit the earth. We think of meek as the poor, the downtrodden, the, I don't know, the stupid, the, the lepers. That's not what the meek actually means. The meek are the people that seek something other than this bullshit world that we live in. That's why my wife wants to learn how to spin yarn. I don't think she knows that, but I think she feels it. Why else would you want to learn how to spin yarn? That is centuries, millennia old technology. Why would you want to learn it? Because you feel the need to learn it. Why do you feel the need to learn it? Because you don't want to have any part of this shit. I'm saying, man, that Jesse from uh, Powell from Kraken, he stepped out, but I guarantee you that he wants to be part of Goldman Sachs. He wants to be a desk manager or a risk management guy at Golden at, at uh, J.P. Morgan. All the rest of these guys. They just couldn't cut it in traditional finance because they didn't have the network. It's not about what they know. It's about the network that they had. And they didn't have that network until crypto came along. The entire reason crypto is here was to provide another avenue of these people to seek the wealth of the traditional financial markets. Don't believe any of them. If they're a shit coiner, they want traditional finance. They don't want a future. They want the past. People that are reaching for the past right now are reaching, for, they're trying to run into a burning house. Let them, let them burn. Coinbase, Coinbase to close majority of Japan operations following global layoffs. Uh, yay. Ezra Roguera, Cointelegraph. Look, guys, don't get sad about this shit. When Yellowstone Forest burned down in the 80s, and that was one of the most horrific forest fires ever, it was because of the same shit that's going on here. Too much fuel, it burned too hot, and it killed the trees. However, the ponderosa pine, which is the predominant pine tree in Yellowstone National Park, has this weird thing where the fire has to get so hot, otherwise the pine cones of the Ponderosa will not open to release their seed. And 
one year after the Yellowstone National Forest burnt the fuck down, you can, you guessed it, ecologists and, and people of all stripes in biology and ecology came through and they were looking, they were re, wanted to report on the, on how devastating it was. And at the time we weren't dealing with climate change hysteric or climate change hysterics, but there was problems. And you know what they found? They found 1500 ponderosa pine seedlings per, what was it? I think it was every hundred square feet or something like that, that whole entire forest had to burn down. Its ecology was so linked to fire that it couldn't even spread its genetics unless the entire thing was burnt to the ground. Do not be sad. If you were to go, because this is in the 80s, if you go to Yellowstone National Forest now and look at it, it's beautiful. It just takes time. What's your time scale? I might be reading about Coinbase also going down the tubes, but it needs to, it needs to. All this shit needs to burn down and we need to start all over again. I'm happy about it. Let's find out more. Crypto exchange Coinbase will be closing down most of its operations in Japan as part of its efforts to survive the bear market. The move is part of the company's restructuring plan and follows the recent announcement that it would reduce its employees by 20%. That's one in five. In an interview with BNN Bloomberg, Coinbase executive Nana Murugusen said that most of the operations in Japan will be closed. Quote, we've decided to wind down the majority of, oper- of our operations in Japan, which led to eliminating most of the roles in our Japan entity. While the executive did not dive into specifics, he noted, that a small number of employees in the Japanese branch would stay to make sure that customer assets are secure. While the crypto exchange did not comment on mergers and acquisitions in a Bloomberg interview, a Coinbase spokesperson said they are looking into every possible option. God damn, they're looking for a buyout already. (laughs) Quote, we are carefully evaluating all options and will communicate any further updates as they become available, they said. On June the 14th, the crypto exchange had already slashed its headcount by 18% because of the uncertainty in market conditions. Back then, CEO uh, Brian Armstrong said that the company had grown very quickly and that employee costs were way too high to manage effectively through the uncertain market conditions. Armstrong also cited the rescission as he announced the layoffs, or sorry, rescission, recession cited the recession as he announced the layoffs. (laughs) Coinbase is not the only crypto trading platform to lay off its workforce amid the crypto winter. January 6th, crypto trading firm platform Huobi also confirmed that it plans to cut one in five of its staff or 20%, citing market conditions. Bybit Exchange also announced a second batch of layoffs to survive the bear market. The layoffs came as Bybit CEO Ben Zhao announced a reorganization plan amid the crypto winter. So it's all burning down. You know, it doesn't matter if it's in crypto or mainstream social media. It's all burning down. If if you're just looking at crypto burning down and going, oh my God, it's terrible. I got to get out. Where are you going to go out to? Everything else is on fire. The political structure in the United States and pretty much all of Western Europe is on fire. Ukraine and Russia on fire. Uh, all mainstream media, it's on fire. Crypto's on fire. 
everything's on fire. The recession and the, the general economic structure of the planet is on fire. What do you do? Learn how to spin yarn or learn how to weld. Learn how to code. Like, you know, you know, create, create something. It doesn't mean that you're going to survive it. I'm just saying you got to do something, right? And you can't let all this shit get to you. The only people that are, that are going to survive this are the people that know how to handle a depressive state, whether internal or external. That's, that's all I can tell you. You can do it. I plan on doing it. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to do it, but God damn it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going out like this. I'm just not. It's just too stupid to go out like this ever. Now, in India, over to India, ladies and gentlemen, wow, what did? God, I, I hate Coindesk. Their website sucks, but it does allow us to read this. 90% of Wazirik's user accounts are in Binance wallets. According to Proof of Reserve's report, uh, Amikito Smith is writing this one for, or not Smith, Amikito Singh is writing this one for Coindesk. Indian crypto wallet, exchange, or wallet, Indi, Indian crypto exchange with Xerix released its proof of reserves report. And with that disclosed that 90% of its users' assets are held in Binance wallets. Let's pause and pour one out for the potential destruction of 90% of Wazirix's customers. Do I think that Binance is going down? I think Binance is going to take a fucking hit. I think it's going to, I think it's going to suck for Binance because I don't think uh, uh, CZ was any different of a human being than Sam Bankman fried or any of the rest of these jokers. I think he wanted to be part of the legacy financial system and he used the road less traveled and that was crypto to get there. Sorry. That's, I mean, I know I sound like a doomer, but I'm not, this all has to burn down so that we can regrow it. It depends on your time scale. CoinGabar, a third-party platform that tracks crypto assets, released Wazirix proof of reserves. At the time of writing, Wazirix had $285 million of total user assets displayed in the form of stablecoin USDT, which is pegged to the US dollar. Of the total user assets, around 92% uh, was held in Binance wallets with $26.45 million otherwise being held on other exchanges. Oh, Jesus. Then what the hell do you do? I, aren't you an exchange? Then why are you holding your shit on other exchanges? Do you, are, are you unable to perform as an exchange? Just a question. Quote, the total assets held by Wazirix are greater than the assets held by Wazirix on behalf of its users. Ooh, a Wazirix blog said, Quote, with this, we are not only India's largest crypto exchange by volume, but also India's largest crypto exchange by reserves, of which none of it you hold. How can you be the largest? Whatever. 90% of user assets are held in wallets at Binance, and the balance of 10% is stored in hot and warm wallets. Oh, good Lord. The revelation is significant as in August of last year was Xerix's co-founder, Nichelle Shetty and Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao had a public Twitter spat about who controls Wazirix. Quote, while the user assets may be on Binance wallets, Wazirix has the API, which gives us control of the tokens. <laughs> oh, you keep on using that word 
API. I, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I got to read that again. While the user assets may be on Binance wallets, Wazirx has the API, which gives us control of the tokens, said Ragajapal Menon, vice president of Wazirx. I'm kind of shocked at that statement. I'm, I don't even know what to do with that, honestly. Shetty had previously said that his team had been in discussions with Binance for several months to work out the ownership issue. Quote, the holdings at Binance sub-accounts belong to Wazirx, but only, but kept with Binance, said Sundeep Sigzexa, co-founder of CoinGabar. Quote, the validity of these holdings depends upon Binance honoring the liquidation of the same. The same holds good for other exchanges, including CoinDCX and SunCrypto, for which we have integrated the proof of reserve. End quote. Binance said it does not control its users' operations and assets and therefore is unable to verify the percentage of any of their users' assets on wallets on Binance, but users of Binance can be assured that they have funds covering all users' assets one-to-one. -one. Quote, Binance is trusted to provide wallet services as a tech solution to many users, said a Binance spokesperson. Quote, these users, including Zanmai, the Indian entity of Wazirx's Singapore parent, who uses our wallet services for Wazirx's operations, are in control of and responsible for the operations of their Binance accounts, end quote. At the time of writing, more than 19% of the Wazirx user funds, the highest amount of a single token, was in the form of Shiba Inu. Oh my God. With Ether and Bitcoin holdings at 9.37% and 8.28% respectively. I don't know what to do with that one either. This is a complete shit show. It's a complete shit show. Several of India's most prominent crypto trading platforms have released proof of reserve reports, but now in the days after the FTX saga, most had either declined to comment or didn't respond to requests for comments when asked if they would publicly publish their fund reserves or do a Merkle tree proof of reserves. Stand back, ladies and gentlemen, because when the meteorite hits, you don't want to be anywhere close to this shit, dude. Shiba Inu, are you fucking serious? This, I, this is a professional Indian exchange that doesn't keep any of its own reserves. They use other exchanges to do it. And then when we find out what their reserves are, it turns out that n n over 90% of, or well, over 85% of it is in the form of a complete fucking illiquid shitcoin. This is not responsible at all. And this is why all this shit's got to burn down, guys. Be happy for the fire, just don't get close to it. And, and here's the thing, I learned this from my uncle who was a forest ranger. And back in the day when he was a forest ranger, forest rangers also fought forest fires. And he was in the middle of it down in Farmington, you know, New Mexico. And one of the things that he told me about when I was a little kid was that sometimes forest fires can get so big that they create their own weather and that that weather affects things outside of the position of where the forest fire actually is. So 
Just keep that in mind. This fire is burning so hot, it's creating its own weather pattern. It could create its own storm that has nothing to do with crypto itself and affects completely different things. All right. Be mindful of what you do. Be mindful of what it is that you own. What are your assets? And I'm not talking about just crypto assets, but I will go ahead and just say, if you have Shiba Inu or any other shitcoin, if you haven't gotten rid of them yet, please stop listening to me. Please, for the love of God, because I can't help you anymore. If you don't see what's on the horizon, nobody can help you. I get the feeling that this is going to wipe out all the rest of the shit coins. And here's the prediction. A whole brand new crop of shit coins is going to rise up right after all this. And it will not take long. There are people that are thinking exactly the way that I'm thinking, except instead of just saying that this is a fact, they're planning on how to scam you next. And they're happy that this is all burning down because DeFi 2.0 is on the horizon. NFTs 2.0 on the horizon. Altcoin 2.0 on the horizon. You name it. It's all coming back. All this shit's going to burn down and the weeds are going to grow right back. We should probably tend to the garden that we are going to be given. If we do not, we will be inundated with everything that we cannot use, has no utility, and will never hope to have any utility whatsoever. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Well, after that, we're probably going to need a good dad joke from Dad Says Jokes. My wife won't talk to me, not sure why. She just asked me what the female equivalent to the man cave is. I told her it's called the kitchen. Yeah, divorce court. Divorce court is next, by the way. Um, yeah, handed you some, some pretty heavy shit today. I get it. I understand that. And... There's a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, I just don't want to listen to him because he's like being all doomer. I'm not being doomer. I'm just stating fact. These are the stories that are that are up. Some of them are based in fact. Some of them could possibly be based in conjecture. But you gotta you gotta make up your own mind on it. But this is where we are. I would not tell you in the middle of a forest fire that everything's just fine. Everything's gonna be golden. No, I'm gonna tell you to fucking run. Run for your life. It doesn't, and and I don't, when I mean run for your life, all I'm saying is that you've got to run to the direction of where the following occurs. What's the safest route out? It's Bitcoin. Obviously, I'm going to say that. I guess if I was a Monero guy, I'd say Monero, but they're all shit coins. There is not a damn one of them that's going to be able to do something that Bitcoin either already doesn't do or won't be able to in the future. There's not a single one of them. The, you know, like uh, there are a lot of people that give really good arguments about Monero. I don't hold any. I will never hold any. I don't want it. I don't need it. All I want and all I need is actual physical Bitcoin, which I hold in cold storage. I buy it sometimes on river. Sometimes I've bought it on, uh, I, I use, um, 
Oh, what am I? What am I trying to say? Oh God. Uh, oh, I can't believe I forgot Will's company's name. Oh shit. Talk about a brain fart. But I'll, I'll I'll buy it on Cash App. I'll buy it on Strike. I'll I'll you know I, I when I get enough of it on those platforms and I start feeling uncomfortable around you know maybe five hundred fifteen hundred bucks I pull it off and I throw it into cold storage. You know I'm not even you know I guess I should have addressed at one point or another the Luke Dash Junior thing or Luke Dasher depending on you know who what how you're pronouncing his name and his overwrought you know, um, custodial situation that got him uh, 200 Bitcoin lighter. But I'm not going to. You, you, I mean, that happened January the 1st and we've been hearing about it nothing since. And I'm kind of done with it. You don't need to be overwrought about this stuff, but you don't need to be leaving your shit on an exchange. And you certainly don't need to be investing in anything other than Bitcoin when it comes to this entire industry. Doesn't mean... I'm not saying don't go out and buy other things that aren't, you know, Bitcoin related, like, you know, raw land or something like that. I mean, I, I, I feel that that's fine. Not at these prices. I'm definitely waiting for uh, real estate to fully crash before I start, you know, aping into buying a house and some land if I can even afford it then because this market's crazy. But if I've made you sad today, don't be sad. You honestly should be grinning ear to ear because the opportunities are next. That's what comes after a forest fire. That's what comes when all the old growth has been taken out because it happens sometimes even in nature, even with our bad forestry you know, uh, programs, whole forests were wiped out by forest fires well before Europeans or even Indo-Americans got here, right? That happened. How? Luck of the draw you know, four decades of beautiful weather and good rainfall and a sh and no lightning strikes that were ignited anything because the moisture level was just way too high. And then all of a sudden you get a 10 year drought, get one lightning strike and poof, it's all gone. And we had nothing to do with it. It's, it happens in nature. It happens more under our watch. And the same thing's happening here. But after that forest burns down, the opportunities for the younglings or the seedlings or the pioneer species or God only knows what else all become available. You cannot be depressed by what's going on. You need to be happy about what's going on. You need to cheer it on, grab your popcorn, grab your beer, sit back and watch the fireworks, man, because this thing is going to be exquisite. Wizard. And I'll be with you there watching it on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.